Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of How Did They Do a Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sayla Prack. Today, I am honored to be joined by Jaydeep Chada. Jaydeep is an entrepreneur and problem solver. As a director, Jaydeep is able to assess commercial real estate deals and recommend ideal financing solutions for clients across the country. He has a wide range of experience in management consulting, risk management, financial analysis, and modeling out commercial real estate investment prior to joining StackSource. His most recent role was at Crow as a business operations and strategy consultant. Jaydeep holds a business administration degree from University of Southern California, USC and an MBA at Colorado State University. So Jaydeep, thank you so much for spending time with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. So Jaydeep, if you don't mind, if you can share a little bit more about your backgrounds and how you get involved with the uh, real estate space, that would be great. Sure. So my name is Jaydeep Chada. I'm a first-generation immigrant. So real estate was new to me coming into the professional world. After graduating from undergrad, you know, I worked at a management consulting firm, primarily in financial services. And part of my role there, I quickly learned that financial institutions make a lot of money lending on real estate. And, you know, just following the money and following the complexity to the next level, a lot of people were doing really well for their families in real estate. And, you know, previously, I, I was considered real estate kind of boring, so never gravitated towards it. But as as I matured a little bit more and focused more on, you know, what was more important to me, and that was primarily stability, I gravitated more towards it. Quickly from there, I decided, you know, I wanted to be part of making deals happen uh, and advising friends, family members, clients on how to structure their deals to make it financially optimal for them. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do now with StackSource. I'm a, I'm a director of capital advisory, uh, helping clients source debt and equity and different options of bringing capital together to um, make the deal financially effective. Got it, got it. And you're working at uh, StackSource right now and as a director, right? For the commercial side of things, uh, commercial lendings, uh, any specific uh, commercial asset classes that you guys are focusing on or are you focusing on? Uh, Yeah. So I do most of my transactions in either multifamily or industrial. Uh, We have other capital advisors out team up with that focus on, you know, self-storage or uh, mobile home parks, retail, office. So if you were to come to me and say, hey, I have a deal, if I'm not the right person for it within StackSource, I would team up with someone within the company, both geographically and asset class-wise, to make sure that our client gets the full spectrum. So, you know, for the purposes of our conversation, um, I'd love to get more in-depth with multifamily and industrial, but at the same time, like, you know, we become asset class agnostic. Got it. Stacks always um, primarily working nationwide or specific location? All 50 states of the U.S. Um, we're hoping to Got add it. Puerto Rico to the map sooner rather than later. That makes sense. And then uh, just to confirm, Stacks um is a broker company, right, for financing? Correct. We are 
a traditional broker with a fancy platform technology that allows us to show more transparency and provide more control to the sponsor as part of the financing program. And then why, just to be clear, so why would a, a sponsors or anyone who actually working with a loan brokers in order to assist on their deal instead of going directly to like, you know, like a bank or an agency or something like that? That's a great question. And one I answer pretty much every day. Uh, it all comes down to value, right? So we work on a contingent basis where if you close a deal with our lender, we get paid. Uh, and my pitch to my clients becomes is working with us has no upfront cost, right? So if you're pitching it to your existing relationships, go for it. Pitch us against them. If we bring more value to your deal than the cost we add, work with us. If our cost is higher than our value, work with your existing relationships, mm-hmm. right? If you game theory it out in the scenario where we don't add enough value, the sponsor gets the peace of mind that they've tried other options and their current relationship is the best financially. Mm-hmm. If we do bring more value, you gain another person on the team who can push things along, another person to creatively solve any problems that come throughout the you know underwriting and approval process, and you save some money in the long term. Mm-hmm. So why should people work with us other than the fact that we're fun to fun to talk to and enjoy getting deals done together is we're value focused. If we add more value, work with us. If we don't, we wish you the best anyway. Got it. And Jaydeep, what does the process look like working with StackSource or with yourself usually and how long it usually takes? And you mentioned about a fee earlier. Uh, what is a typical fee working with your company? Sure. So uh, I'll tackle the fee up front. Our fees are 1% of senior debt, 2% of mezzanine debt or base equity, and 3% of equity that we bring to the table. Uh, It's all paid at closing. With regards to the process, the first step is really an introduction. You know, we meet over a Zoom call or a phone call or in person to talk about the deal, talk about what you're looking for, what are you going to do with it, when do you need it, why do you need it, Um, kind of take the deal in. From there, our team underwrites the deal and puts it on our platform, Mm -hmm. um, makes it look nice and in a format that lenders can easily understand the deal and either appreciate it or reject it, right? At that point, we then solidify what we think we will get in terms of debt financing options for that deal. So we've sized the deal up. We've set expectations with our clients that this is the ask. And then we use our technology and our relationships to go to market and source term sheets. Mm -hmm. Uh, We bring those term sheets. They are transparently shown to our clients. You know, where we can negotiate, we negotiate on behalf of our clients. But at that point, you know, on a deal, you might have seven to 10 different options on the table. The client then decides which option makes sense for them financially. Um, you know, I say financially, but there are non-quantitative elements to a term sheet that might make a client like it better. For example, it might be a faster turnaround. It might be, um, you know, no appraisal required for closing. Mm-hmm. Or it might be just something unique in the deal. You know, maybe a qualitative decision or a non, you know, or a quantitative decision. Uh, but the client is the one that makes the decision on which lenders they want to be introduced to. We introduce them to the lender. We arrange that call. We arrange the next steps. We work with the lenders day after day if they accept the term sheet uh, through the approval process. We you know, organize and coordinate different third-party reports. And we get our clients to the closing table. That's where we get paid. Um, you know, We try to go above and beyond. There was one deal where I did research to find several different environmental phase one companies for our client. They were entering a new market. They didn't know where to go. They you know, didn't have capacity for research. 
So our team did that for them as well as part of building that relationship. So pretty end-to-end, you know, we're we're always in contact with our clients. We're always preparing them. Hey, this is what's going to happen in the next two days, next week, next two weeks. And things can happen pretty fast, depending on the deal, or it can be a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, the fastest deal I've personally closed was just over two days. Client called on a Monday. The deal closed on a Wednesday afternoon. And the slowest deal, also funny, the fastest deal and the slowest deal I've ever been on, both of the same client. Um, the slowest deal we started in January of 2022, we're now getting close to the end. But that deal needed a lot more rework, a lot more. They had to change GC. They had to do this. They had to do that. They had to get zoning approval. And it just delayed and delayed. And you know the timing wasn't right in 2022 then. So then we waited. So again, it, it depends on the sponsor's urgency and what their business plan is. So speed can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And Jaydeep, you mentioned earlier that uh, your fee is 3% on the equity, right? Uh, can yes. you elaborate on that a little bit? What does that mean by equity? You guys raising capital for the deal as well? So how does that work? Uh, we work with family offices and PE mm-hmm. firms. So we can arrange either a joint venture equity structure or a preferred equity structure. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not raising capital as syndicators for a deal. It's more we're trying to bring in one check writer that will bring majority of the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. So typically working with institutional equity providers. Got it. And, um, you know, like as of today's uh, financing market uh, has been really choppy. What is your insights of uh, the current market right now in terms of, you know, like uh, the different types of financing option? What would be like the best way for operators to tackle the current financing situation? What type of reserve they should have? And what, what do you see in, in the deal itself? Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer broadly. Um, yes. you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. There's a lot of volatility in the market. And I personally like it. I'm pretty young, you know, personally invest in real estate as well. So times of turbulence, volatility, I consider it to be short term. Um, and if you're in the market long enough, you will do well. I like the volatility. It also allows us as brokers to really highlight the value we bring to the table. Right. We have clients who are working with lenders that are quoting deals in 8% or 9%. And, you know, we had a deal get quoted in the low sixes. Right. And on that same deal, we had another lender at prime, which is eight and a half. That was a prime plus one. Right. So allows us to show more value that we can bring through our relationships and our network. Um, in terms of what financing strategy to proceed with, I'm advising my clients to not take deals with prepayment penalties at this point. Mm-hmm. You never know how the market shifts for the better or for the worse. Uh, you want to maintain flexibility in the future to take advantage of that volatility. Uh, the other thing I'm typically recommending my clients is don't over lever. Uh, typically, leverage has been king in getting deals done. And I have nothing against leverage. But depending on how much liquidity you want to hold or what your network looks like, how much recourse you have on your personal name, managing your leverage with your risk profile is important. Mm-hmm. Um, that Those have been two of the more common conversations I've had is looking at your portfolio leverage as a whole, as well as, you know, trying your best not to get into a long-term prepayment structure deal. 
Yeah, and in terms of the underwriting itself, uh, for the deals that you've seen so far, that you bring it to your attention, um, what is the typical like in terms of like loan to values that you see? And you know, like if someone like myself wanted to buy a new multifamily, what is the typical interest rate uh, currently? You know, like what sure. is typical the underwriting the interest rates and the typical you know, loan loan to value we should be underwriting for? Sure. Uh, so it, it would depend on the market, on how big or how small the market is. You know, right before this, I was talking to a client where we're doing a refinance of a value at multifamily. So I'll, I'll use that as, a, as an example. We underwrote that deal at up to 80% loan to value, size to a 1.25 DSCR mm-hmm. using a 6.75% rate and a 25-year amortization. Uh, so we went to market with that, expecting a 6.7 or a $6.8 million uh, loan, which was debt service coverage constrained. And the loan I want my client to accept came in at 6.62% with a 30-year amortization, which increased loan proceeds to about $7.2 million. Uh, again, DSCR constraint. We're typically not seeing deals go the full loan to value, given where the rates are, given where insurance expenses skyrocketed. Um, the desire to maintain liquidity and CapEx reserves. Um, we're typically seeing debt service constrained loans. So depending on how stabilized the asset is, you know, we underwrite from a 6.75% rate all the way up to 8 for multifamily deal. Got it. And in terms of the DSCRs, uh, when you mentioned about DSCR constraint, we're talking about year one DSCR, right? A start year one. Year one, it has to be at least 1.25 uh, because, yeah, that, is that correct? On, on a stabilized deal. On right? a stabilized deal, yeah. yeah. If you're buying value add, we can do deals with no cash, right? It's just then we have to explain the business plan on how are we going to get to that 1.25 DSCR. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if it's a smaller market, 1.3 or 1.4. But it all comes together with the business plan, right? Mm-hmm. Where is the asset? What is it doing? What do you plan to do with it? How long will it take you? What's your experience like in doing this? And that experience is one of the most critical factors right now in getting deals done. Got it. And then so in terms of reserve itself, do you guys like require any like uh, interest reserves or for six months or anything like that? I know it's a typical based on deal, but what do you see in nowadays uh, in today's market? If it's cash flowing, then no reserves. You know, you might have to impound uh, property taxes or insurance for a little bit, three to six months, um, but nothing crazy. You know, if you're buying land, that's not cash flowing, then obviously, you know, you have to bring an interest reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like you said, you know, deal by deal scenario, our approach and our philosophy is let's find the overall best structure for the client. And a lot of times that is let's not have an interest be tied up, right? Make that interest monthly. In certain cases that you can't, you can't mm-hmm. do that. But we, we do see a lot more flexibility in interest reserve requirements. Um, than some of the other. Got it. And then uh, Jaydeep, in terms of the creative financing structure, uh, you know, like you're looking at a lot of deals from different states and a lot of asset classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say it's a multifamily property. What sure. is the uh, creative structures that you see typical uh, nowadays? The reason why I ask this question is because there's a big disconnection between the what the seller is asking and what the buyer is willing to pay, right? It's because the interest rate is much higher yeah. compared to a couple of years ago. So like, how do they make the deal works? Like what type of structure? Yeah, um, you know, that, that's that been interesting. Um, pers- on a personal front, like I, I'm purchasing multifamily myself and 
you know, anytime the seller is willing to get creative, there's a lot more ways we can do things. You know, we've seen deals with the seller carried second. We've seen deals with the seller staying in as a preferred equity provider. Mm-hmm. We've seen deals with a structure where it's not a full purchase, but it's the it's a master lease with the option to buy at a predetermined price in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of trying to reduce the risk in the short term to maximize you know business plan in the long. Um, we've seen creatively, you know, mes debt come into play. We've seen C pace equity come into play, and depending on exactly what the deal is and what the sponsor's trends are and the seller's motivation is, we can get pretty creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a deal in in Nevada. Clients are looking to buy car washes, and the seller's willing to carry a certain amount. And we're we're arranging the senior debt that will allow a seller carried second lien on car washes, right? Uh, so a little bit more of a unique asset. And we've got a good engagement from lenders. We've, I think we've got a strong term sheet, but there are things that we need to iron out still. But creativity in this market is paramount. And if you can find a seller that's willing to get creative with you, that's how a lot of deals are happening right now. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's a possibly a worthwhile conversation with the seller, right? In terms of, Always. hey, you know, like the, the debt is so expensive right now. Is there anything you can do? Probably like carry a portion of the proceeds or something like that, a hold back of the proceeds, you know, for certain amounts of interest or no interest or whatever is like uh, that come up with yeah. the... Uh, if you want that price, of course, right? Absolutely, right? Price is a factor of cash flow in right. the future. Right. So, yeah, always worth having a conversation with the seller on how creative can you get? And sometimes the answer is very. I have a deal on the contract personally. We're planning to pay interest payments to the seller on a quarterly basis instead of monthly. And that allows us a little bit more working capital in the deal to make improvements without having to raise all that capital up front. Mm-hmm. That makes so, sense. Minimal improvement in my cash flow, but that's the difference between a 15% IRR or a 17% IRR. True. That's true. Um, Depending on, you know, how, what the motivation for the seller and the buyers are, there's a lot of different ways you can get creative. And uh, having a capital advisor, like our team can help structure those deals. right? Right. We're not, we're not the only people who do this. We're not the, we're not the smartest people, but what we do have is the work ethic and, you know, we have enough deals that we've seen, we've seen succeed or fail, that we know what the common missteps can be and how to avoid them. Got it. And JD, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I'm pretty sure you got asked these questions a lot. What is happening in 2024 in your your crystal ball? Um, that's a good question. I'm hoping for some stability coming to the market. I think there's, this has currently been a period of price discovery between buyers and sellers. Um, I'm hoping for some stability from this volatility. We do track macroeconomic trends. We do follow swap rates, um, which kind of indicates where the expected interest rate is going to be. And because longer swaps are priced lower than shorter swaps, it tells us that long-term, the expectation of the market is that rates will be lower. And that's Primarily, the big reason why I'm telling my clients don't go for yield maintenance prepayment penalties, because in a year or two years or three years, you might be in a situation where it would be beneficial to refinance. But if you have a yield maintenance prepayment penalty, it can be backbreaking. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, I'm a very positive person. I, you know, I like to believe that the 
the world will stabilize and everybody will be happy and make a lot of money. So I'm hopeful that 2024, even if rates don't come down, they at least stabilize and work through the price discovery phase. Got it. A lot of uh, fixed rate debt usually coming either, you know, jail maintenance or prepayment penalty, right? So do you recommend like we're going with like an arms type base of interest rate and buying a rate cap or what is your suggestion? Um, you know, it depends on the client's risk profile. If you have a lot of deals and you can basically write the risk, I can see the the reason to go that way, to go variable rate. A lot of my clients are, you know, doing one to five deals a year where, you know, a substantial shift in interest rates would be catastrophic. And looking at their personal financial statement and their risk tolerance, you know, I would recommend fixed rate. Mm-hmm. So keeping my personal beliefs out of it and advising the client based on their, you know, who they are, what are they doing with real estate? How much would that negative scenario impact them? Keeping that in mind is when I make my recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are going with variable rate because that, again, the expectation is that rates are going to come down based on looking at the macro trends or looking at the swap rates, right? That being said, if you're going to do one deal, you're betting the house on that one deal. You don't want to lose it because of an outlier event. In mm-hmm. That situation go for a fixed rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a sponsor by sponsor decision. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And Jaydeep, if somebody wanted to get started with the commercial real estate uh, business right now, so purchasing like the commercial asset class right now, what advice do you have for them? Um. I think my biggest advice would be create a team around yourself, you know, and part of that team is a mentor, somebody who's been through the ups and downs, somebody who's got a different mindset than your own. Because that was the, the hardest challenge for me going from a W-2 job into real estate was broadening my mindset of going from cost basis to a value-based approach. So my biggest advice would be build a team. You know, have a mentor, have an accountability partner, have a marketing specialist or learn from somebody who's really good at sourcing off-market deals, work with a capital advisor, work with a property manager, a GC to make improvements. Because in the short term, it might feel like you're spending a lot of money and giving up a lot of value. But getting those basics, getting that foundation right sets you up for a long-term success. Um, and, you know, if you can leverage somebody else's mistakes into your, uh, a smoother start for you, like power do it, right? Right. That makes sense. So Jaydeep, I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today to talk about your your company, Stacksource, and also different type of commercial lending and recommendation, what's going on with the 2024 and what to do with the underwriting to making sure that you stay safe, especially in the current environment. So Jaydeep, if our listener wanted to find out more about you, wanted to learn more about Stacksource, uh, where can they go? Uh, you know, the best way to learn more about us is to reach out to one of us. Uh, you can find our contact information on our website. I'm, I'm sure uh, your podcast releases my information as well. Uh, but you can give me a call or send me an email, or you could visit our website at stacksource.com. We've tried to make it as seamless and as easy as possible for people to get started. Commercial real estate is life-changing in my opinion, and I think uh, more people would, be benef- would benefit from learning more about it. Awesome. Jaydeep, thank you so much. We appreciate you and appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you for having me and have a good rest of your day. 
and thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.